G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Barn, and today I'm really excited to have Chester Kutner along who works at Blueprint Homes. He's a long-term friend, a client of ours at Investors Edge, and also been in the building industry for the last 12 years, so he's got incredible insights to give us. And this episode's not just for those that are thinking of building, but for those that want to understand a lot of the things that are happening to shape the overall property and building industry. So it's going to be a two-parter because we did get carried away. And in this first part, we're going to be going into some of his property and building learning lessons, our experiences with building, and we've both used uh, Blueprint to build now, understanding of site costs and many of the factors that go into how costs can blow out, different roles in the building industry, the true cost of building cheap and what I think investors should be looking to do when when building. And also, we spend a fair bit of time at the end of the episode uncovering some of the hidden costs that builders don't always tell you about and how to compare more apples with apples when looking to choose a builder. So some really great insights. Stay tuned then for part two and let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth Property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. Hey, Chester. Thanks so much for joining me today. Looking forward to chatting everything building and property. Uh, It's a pleasure, Jared. Thanks for having me. And I was just saying before we jumped on that I recognise the background um, to your video being the offices there at Blueprint that I um, came along to quite a number of times when I was building. Brings back fond memories of the whole process. So I bet you guys are pretty busy at the moment. Oh, very busy. And I'm glad you had a good experience. In fact, I don't know if you know my background to Blueprint Homes. I actually started out like yourself as a client back in 2008 yeah. and having built a home with them, had a good experience, quit my job at uh, UWA where I was working on the administrative side and then came here and took up a position in sales for the first two years. Oh, great. I didn't actually realize that you stumbled across your role that way. Yeah, started out as a client, ended up as an employee. And what better way to have trust in the whole process and everything that's done as well. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And you went from your role in the sales consultant sort of side and what sort of role are you fulfilling these days? I did sales for a couple of years and I'm not sure if sales was really my thing, but that was the only opening available to me coming from an industry and different industry and having no experience in the industry. But after a couple of years, I walked up to the boss and I said, I'm done. I'm out of here. And he went, what are you going to do? And I said, oh, I'm just going to find a regular eight to five job somewhere. And he said, oh, if that's all you're looking for, why don't you come and work for us in the office? And initially, it was on a three-month trial basis to see what I would bring to the business. And here we are 10 years later, and I'm still <laughs> going strong. Uh, currently, I'm the manager of workflow, compliance, and client relations. So that's broadly my role at Blueprint. Okay. Wow. So you must have a good insight in the overall process now, sort of end-to-end. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If it involves the flow of work as well as client relations, yeah. Yeah. Includes a lot of things, I imagine. Yeah. Never a dull day in my (laughs) day-to-day work. (laughs) 
<laughs> because, so give us a bit uh, of background on your property journey so far. Well, I moved to Australia in 2001. Property prices were way lower. Median house prices were way lower than, say, Melbourne and Sydney. I can't remember exact numbers. Don't hold me to it. But I think <laughs> we were in the mid 100, so 140 or 180,000 in Perth, maybe in the early 300s in Melbourne and 400 or something like that in Sydney. But even back then, you know, getting started in a new country as a migrant, we didn't tough, have a lot yeah. of uh, spare cash and the market started to move. So by 2002, we noticed that the market had moved, you know, $30,000 or $40,000 above where we thought it should be. And uh, for the next two years, 2002 to 2004, the market kept going. There was lots of reports in the newspaper that the bubble will burst. And I, like a wise property investor, sat on the sidelines and watched this and said, yep, when it bursts, I'll pick up a property. Yeah, well, it didn't James burst, words. as you know. <laughs> <laughs> from all four to all six it seemed to double again yeah. that was when um, i got in at 2004 five and yeah. i didn't even know what we were in at the time yeah and you you never can know for certain when you're in something especially when you're starting out and yeah. you would have yeah. been in a similar boat just coming to the country it's like well you know is this going to continue or is this going to burst and we can pick up a property for much less so it's a gamble Absolutely. to take isn't it and then you know from your own journey that since 2008 uh, to probably 2018, the market's been pretty flat. Yeah, it's been but very being the wise investor I was uh, in 2008, I went around to a lot of property seminars, got a lot of good advice, and decided to enter the market. Purchased uh, established property in 2008 and built another property in 2008 with Blueprint. So there we were with all our reports from lots of experts telling us that property def, uh, doubles in seven to ten years and it does over long-term periods yeah but i just picked the one period when it wasn't going to double <laughs> to purchase prop and hold property so but that then led to my journey with blueprint home having built in 2008 2009 i enjoyed the process enjoyed the company love construction love homes so came to blueprint seeking employment and uh, here we are almost 12 years later yeah so you got involved very similar to when i started investors edge in 2008 as well absolutely i think we met at an entrepreneurial um, networking thing didn't we absolutely so, and uh, when you times. mentioned to me that you were starting out uh, on with investors edge i think we placed our little unit with you for property management back then. So yeah. it would have been one of the early properties. that You, you were definitely in the top uh, 20 or, <laughs> or 30 clients. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. That's in the days where I know every person by name and I've got their phone number uh, on speed dial. <laughs> <laughs> but I really appreciate you uh, supporting us in those earlier days. Because oh, and Investors Edge has been wonderful to us. Um, you've managed all our properties since 2008. You've sold the properties we've sold. So we've done pretty much all our property business through you. So You know that we're both getting old, don't you, when um, your girls are so much older now and they came to one of our... Uh, office opening events and they were very young at the time and uh now yes very young and now graduating high school and uh yeah. one's at university and the other one's uh coming to the end of high school so oh, wow. yeah and the so that's what's been keeping you busy <laughs> <laughs> yes Wonderful. and going across my lap on the porch <laughs> so um what are some of the lessons you picked up whether it be 
property or building related. I'm sure you could fill a whole encyclopedia with building things and it's like, where do you start? But is there any ones that stick out to you that might help those that are on their property journeys? I think in terms of purchasing properties and buying properties over over a period of time, I think the fundamentals never fail. Buying a good property with some well-informed advice in a good area that's reasonably priced. Uh, I'm talking about the property being reasonably priced compared to what's available on the market. It's never going to go wrong. In good markets, as the market climbs, you find those properties appreciate better. And in when market trends reverse and they're going downhill, I find that uh, they still hold their value as best as they can in declining markets. Yeah. Whereas a bad property, yes, some of its faults are going to be hidden when the market's climbing but you can get burnt quite badly if the market reverses and going the other way. Again, long-term trends, property seems to stack up as a great investment vehicle, seems to take care of itself. And if you're speculating for, at least for me, I've found speculating for short two, three, four, five-year cycles can sometimes come back to bite you because there's no prediction of what's going to happen in the next two, three years. I mean, if you told me two years ago, (laughs) we'd be dealing with covid the whole world would be in lockdown or shutdown and restrictions on travel. I would have said that you would have uh, actually helped property prices appreciate. I don't think anyone would have that too. Yeah. Who could have predicted what that as the economy was supposed to shut down, the complete opposite seemed to have happened. Whether you're looking at iron ore, you're looking at uh, property prices, you're looking at the rental market. Yeah. It's quite crazy. In terms of building, I'd say when we built our first property, we uh, we built it down at Belia. And oh, being yes. a sandy site, we didn't know what site costs were. A lot of the documentation I came across of the first home we built after I joined Blueprint Homes, and I was reading through it. Now, having worked here for one, two, three years, I was reading through the documentation that I received. And fortunately, I built with a good quality builder, and I accidentally stumbled across a site that didn't have many site-related conditions associated with it. Can be a real we got gamble, a, can't it? Yeah, it was a gamble back then because we got a site cost bill of $5,000 and we thought that's oh, normal. Yeah. That's what everyone gets. That's uh, after minimal, coming to it? Blueprint, uh, <laughs> oh, these days you wouldn't see anything less than ten dollars or $15,000 as a minimal. But then we even got, uh, you know, I've seen sites with seventy, eighty, hundred thousand dollars wow. site costs uh, issues with them, depending on the clay content, depending on the slope of the block. There's just so many things we didn't know, even though we thought we were quite astute investors. And at uh, least Blueprint takes a much more transparent approach to things, yeah, whereas like other people so. can be committed to their contract and discover mm-hmm. later that things are much, much higher than originally. Absolutely. And I think sometimes the cost of site costs need to be viewed as part of the cost of purchase of the land Mm. because they're really directly impacted by the quality of the land, the quality of the subsoil, the slope of the block, whether retaining walls are required and all that. So if you come across an unscrupulous person in the industry, and I'm not saying there's a lot of them, but a few that are there, if you unfortunately come across one, they can conceal those costs because they're provisional yeah. sums. They're just projections of what the cost might be. And later, when the site's been surveyed, the soil's been tested, they can always come back with highly increased prices yeah. uh, and declare that they never knew because the site hadn't been surveyed or soil tested at that point of time. But generally, but it will always suggest to people where 
possible to make their offers subject to geotechnical report, especially if they're serious on the property or if you involve your builder from the start, they've often built in the area and can give you some insight as to, you know, is this a clay area where you might be looking at many times the cost? Absolutely. Yeah, because that's what Blueprint does. We have historical evidence over the last 15 or so years uh, and going back even further when we use the reports our engineers have of different areas and what typically the soil conditions have come back in those areas. So we tend to go out even before the site's been surveyed, have a visual of it, look at if there's a lot of slope on the block. Uh, It's never accurate from a visual just line of sight scene. But you can get a general understanding if there's going to be issues. Uh, we do a little bit of touching base with the councils to see if there's other factors, easements, uh, trees, power lines in the area, side entry gullies on the verge, and just so many things that can affect a block. We try to cater for as much information up front to the client even before they've spent a single dollar on testing the site to say, look, these are all the things that could be impacting your block. Or it's a relatively clear block from what you yeah. can see and doesn't appear to have any blowout and site costs and things like that. And of course, if if the soil quality does attribute to the overall quality of the land, it should re- ideally be factored in when you're coming to your price to begin with. Yeah. Or, you know, written so that you have an out if it's over and above what you think it might be. And it, of course, that's a luxury when, when we're in a crazy market and we've got four offers on the table, the conditions that you might be able to include vary. <laughs> oh, it's absolutely. Be much harder when, absolutely. You know, in a climbing market, rapidly things. climbing market where there's shortage of title land, it's always hard to get any conditions included. In fact, the more conditions you put in, the less likely your yeah. offer is going to be accepted. So I guess it's, it's just uh, a balancing act and... Absolutely. Working with someone from the start, I guess, who, choosing your builder sometimes before you could choose your land could be the, the safeguard and the way Absolutely. to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've touched on how you found your role, your current role, and um, what what are some of the things you love about it and why have you ended up staying there so long? Because I find when you, when you get over 10 years in anything, you either have you do it because you love it or you you feel like you're trapped in it (laughs) (laughs) i often share a joke that if you go to a restaurant and haven't paid your bill they make you wash up the dishes so there's a rumor going around that i built a house with blueprint in 2008 Uh, i didn't pay my bill and i'm still working to pay it off that could be the uh, the inside information we were looking for today So in the building industry, Work we've got, it off. Uh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> so we've got different roles at Blueprint, um, and most of them are quite very dedicated roles to a particular position. So you've got a contracts person or a pre-stat person or a drafts person who does the working drawings, you've got people who liaise with the shires on a day-to-day basis, but they all fundamentally do a lot of the same. So they do large-scale processing in a working for a large volume project builder, so schedulers, estimators. Whereas my role is very diverse. On a day-to-day basis, I don't have any processing work to do, so nothing travels across my desk that I need to keep jobs moving through. So I see everything that's anomalous, everything that's uh, an issue that's arisen. So there may be site-related conditions, there may be a non-compliance issue with uh, a local government authority, of something we hadn't known about. There may be a client who's uh, experienced some hardship. 
So I just, I have no clue what's going to happen on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. I rock up to work and then people come to me and say, all right, here's an issue that's arisen. Professional problem solving and must yeah, give you lots a of variety like as well. Yeah, it's is- a tremendous amount of variety and uh, every Every now and again, I come across something I've never seen before. And after I guess over the initial anxiety, I then settle into finding out, you know, how do we solve that? Speaking to experts from either within the office or externally, quite often sometimes discussing these issues with local or state government engineers, acoustic consultants. Uh, We just never know where the day is going to take me Mm -hmm. when I get in there. Um, And of course, when you're dealing with people, that keeps things interesting and it's what we love about yeah. our work in property management and, and sales as well it's like even if it's the same property different people it's a completely different experience for everyone so absolutely yeah. and you you get to see also how people's perceptions and expectations shape their experiences so the same experience with one person might not be the same how they another person experiences it and a lot of it's being defined or shaped by how they perceive life should be or shouldn't be. So. And I guess you get to see the bottlenecks and and sticking points that probably all add up to, you know, how could someone do something smoother? As yeah, well? I mean, that's always been our focus at Blueprint, uh, improving efficiencies, making things smoother, smoother flow uh, quicker. We've always been one of the quickest in terms of pre-construction and construction timeframes. But at the same time, we're very focused on not compromising the quality. So how do you shave time off a build by just improving very efficient workflow processes, very minimal dead days in the process and turning around things quickly? And it's funny with what the certain market segments want, because I used to think, when, especially when I was starting out investor and I didn't have more than two sticks to rub together, um, yes. I, I used to think that you know cheaper was best and I'd go to saving money on things and then, you know, as I've matured and realised that you get what you pay for and quality actually stands the test of time and shores up your resale and overall, I think if if an investor's smart, they would be looking to use a more quality builder like yourselves because we should be building for what end home buyers want, not what tenants necessarily want. And you could still make the, if, if it's a better quality house, it's going to, also stand up to wear and tear better as well. So I've come kind of full circle on who I think even investors should be using as a, as their builder. But what sort of market segments do you tend to to serve? Because I know different uh, we, builders fit. We've different. traditionally stayed in the in a very similar market segment all throughout. So we're in the large volume project building for single story homes. Generally, will not do. Uh, split level homes unless you're talking about a garage being dropped several courses to be to meet site gradient requirements and things like that but single story homes anywhere in the metro area going you know up uh, towards the Yanship side or down towards Mandura and Dawesville roughly you'd say while we build a few homes under the $200,000 mark and some over the $300,000 mark a large volume of our homes would typically be in the $240,000 to $260,000 price point. Yeah. That's typically the market segment. Uh, and it can be confusing for buyers as well because different builders advertise their prices differently. <laughs> oh, and, uh, I didn't intend to touch on this today, but uh, <laughs> it's a big can of worms because I'm, I'm just talking from personal experience when when you go to 
you know, buy a property, you go along to display homes and you see one thing and what you get is very different. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, uh, the thing I appreciated dealing with you guys is I went to a display home and my wife said, see this, this is what I want. So we just went and, and said, we want that exact version and that's yep. exactly how it came out. And so we knew what we saw, the cost of it, and that's what we got delivered. So it was just the end-to-end expectations met and ma- managing. I can buy things off of plans and see things from draw- drawings and diagrams, but my, my wife's very visual and wants to see it and see how the spaces are laid out and walk through it. And so that's why uh, we found that you know process to be a lot easier when we could get those expectations met. So Yeah, it can be quite a confusing experience, uh, especially for people from different backgrounds and coming from different market segments. I understand that the way, say, builders operate over in the East or in the UK is very different to how builders operate in Perth. Uh, not everything you see in a display home is included in the price that's being offered. Builders should provide clear documentation to indicate what is or what's not included and not uh, it shouldn't be buried in the fine print so that, you know, we've had clients come through over the years who've thought that the furniture that they see in the display <laughs> home is included with it or, I don't know, the teddy bear on the kid's bed is all part yeah. of the whole package. Or the but, wallpaper uh, or Yeah, so... Yeah trying to separate what's included with the base home price uh, as a standard rule um, blueprint as well as most project builders don't include landscaping, the floor coverings, internal wall paint, unless you specifically ask for it. So they give you a price and then include those things that a client wants. uh, And obviously that adds to the price. Some clients prefer the option of going to market to purchase those additional add-ons, mainly because they'll get a much wider range to pick from. So there's always those kind of options. But I think as long as everything's very transparent and the clients know upfront what's included, what's not included, and when they finish the home, the kind of costs that they may still have to incur to complete the home, for it to be completely livable. I think that's really important that we be transparent with people. Yeah, it makes sense. And I certainly found that going through it as well myself. So I come across people every day who have had some poor experience here or there and they say, oh, I should have just built with you guys. Or Yeah, um, and it's hard when they're trying to compare like an apple with an orange. So they've got one quote that on the surface appears to be, you know, the same, but when you go deeper... It's like, oh, all these things are left out. Like the actual quality is nowhere near as good. It's hard and for buyers. There's so many little examples that uh, if we if we had a whiteboard available, I could draw up and show you. <laughs> but the, the simplest rule that I, I draw on a piece of paper to clients is I say, draw a 10 meter by 10 meter square. It's 100 square meters. But when you look at the perimeter of that square, it's you've got four sides of 10 meters. It's 40 linear meters of fencing or 40 linear meters of cavity wall, as is the case for builders. But if you change that dimension to a 25 meter by four meter, so now it's a long skinny home, all of a sudden it's still 100 square meters. But now the cavity brickworks changed from 40 linear meters to almost 60. So it's 58 linear linear meters of cavity. And being that the external brickwork on the home, it forms quite a significant component of the costs long skinnier homes are more expensive than squarer homes Mm. and homes with straight lines are going to be more cost effective 
than homes with lots of indentations and C-sections cut out of them. So now you take the 100 square meter home, you cut a little C-section out of it and it's 95 square meters and people expect the cost to come down, but it's actually going to go up. Yeah, you're reducing the area, but you're increasing the perimeter. Yeah. And, and I guess it must be even the, more common with the infill blocks as well because they're often very skinny uh, yeah. because a, a 30, or, um, often maybe a 20 or a 22 square metre, a 22 metre frontage rather has been divided in two to make you know, 10 or 11 or, you know. Yeah. Long skinny blocks. And what's happening is when you when you mentioned the advertising, the advertising so uh, clever because they only use the area. So they say, here's a 200 square meter home for a certain price, but they'll use a square model that okay. has a reasonable price. When it comes time to draw up a client's block, if the home is skinny the and narrow, rectangle it is, yeah. yeah, the price is going to climb significantly. Whereas... If we as a builder, say at Blueprint Homes, are ethical and say, look, let me give you the cost for a home for that particular block and it's long and skinny, all of a sudden your home looks the same area but looks more expensive. Yeah. So then an advertised square home, and they go, oh, yours is 200 square meters. Their ad says 200 square meters. How come yours is more expensive? And then you have to go through this whole education process of explaining if they actually draw up a home for this particular block it's probably going to be a little bit more expensive than their advertised promo home in the paper. Yeah, good one. I never um, never uh, got that point. I'm learning stuff today too. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> Jester, thank you so much for all your time today and insights into the building industry. I'm very excited for the topics that we've got ahead in part two, so make sure you come along, listeners, for a not-to-be-missed episode next time where things really get juicy and I pick up heaps of things that I didn't even know about. So I'll see you on the next one. Mm-hmm.